Hello and welcome to The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley. If you're listening to this right now, you probably know that Boston is in the midst of a mayoral race, although so far it's been pretty low-key. Two of the four candidates on the ballot right now have gotten most of the media's attention. That's Marty Walsh, the heavily favored and very well-financed incumbent, and Boston City Councilor Tito Jackson, who's made a name for himself as a thorn in the side of the Walsh administration. But the other two candidates are basically political ciphers right now. So my WGBH News colleague Peter Kadzis and I sat down with them separately to learn a bit more about their campaigns. First up, we're going to hear from Bob Capucci, a former Boston police officer, followed by Joseph Wiley, who works in customer service for a health insurance company. I started off our conversation with Bob Capucci by asking him about the signature requirements for getting on the ballot, which three candidates who didn't make the cut have asserted are unfair. Bob Capucci, thank you for coming into the BPL to talk with Peter and I. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure, and I appreciate this opportunity. So let me ask you what your take was when you heard that three candidates who didn't get the 3,000 signatures in three weeks that you have to get to get on the mayoral ballot. We're going to hold a press conference saying that uh, the process was not fair, that it discriminated against less well-known candidates, and that it should be amended. Well, I, I have compassion for for those three candidates. However, if they didn't feel there was enough time to get the signatures, I think they should have uh, announced that prior to uh, getting signatures, not after the fact when they were not able to get the signatures, as obviously myself and three other candidates for mayor were able to get the signatures. So I, I do feel badly. I, I'm, I'm a person that has compassion. But again, I think their objection should have been a, a, a voiced before, not after. How difficult is it for someone like you who has a, a past in Boston politics that we'll talk about in a moment, but someone who's not in office right now, uh, how hard is it to get 3,000 signatures that, uh, that pass muster with the elections department? It, it is a, a task. However, um, my background on those signatures are that I was able to get 1,400 signatures by myself, and the rest of the signatures were pretty much by my friends who were out there, and I think one group of friends got 500 signatures from uh, one part of the city. Another group was able to get 1,200 signatures from another part of the city, and uh, my own personal friends were able to get 700 signatures, and uh, I actually had uh, got, I wanted to get uh, icing on the cake, so I was uh, able to have a organization that you pay to get signatures mm-hmm. helped me get more and, and they were able to get me 1600 signatures so uh, between my 3800 and their 1600 I pretty much was able to submit 5400 signatures uh, the commissioner uh, suggested we need 3000 resident uh, voter registered voter signatures and that he suggested we get at least 600 extra for a buffer and obviously, I, I got a lot more than 600. You went above and beyond. Yes, I was concerned. Bob, um, let me ask you, um, many people think that um, you're a candidate who came out of the blue. And in 
some ways you are. You haven't been active politically. But you were once a member of the elected Boston School Committee. Um, could you tell us when that was and what that was like? Uh, the Boston School Committee was uh, something I think a lot of people still believe should occur because it's elected directly by the people. Uh, the Boston School Committee at that time was the oldest school committee in America. It was uh, 300 years old. However, I really didn't think that uh, Representative uh, Jim, I think it was, I forget his first name, Roosevelt, not Jimmy, uh, was incorrect as a state rep from Beacon Hill saying that we should go to an appointed board. But in retrospect, he, he was correct. I think there was too much politics as an elected school committee, and that is not what we need for the children. The children are the most important thing. A great education is what they need. It's been a long time that uh, Boston has tried all different things, different superintendents, and uh, we, we haven't been able to do that. So if I can go a little further, I would be in favor of keeping it an appointed board. I, I would not want an elected board because you get back into the politics, and that, that affects the children. That, I wouldn't be happy with that. It's good to know we've 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 got a strong position right out of the gate here. Um, I'm smiling, but I'm dead serious. Listen, you must be dissatisfied with um, the job that the incumbent mayor, that Marty Walsh, is doing, or I assume you wouldn't run. What is it that you think you would do better than the mayor is doing now? I, I wouldn't use the word better. I would use different. Okay. And, and, and maybe a better word, a more interesting word. Uh, I, there are several issues. One would be a sanctuary city. Um, right near where we are in this studio, there was the Marathon bombing. And after that bombing, it was brought to the attention that there was n not very good communication between the three levels of law enforcement that the federal level and the state level and the local level, in this case Boston, should have been communicating a lot better than, the, than with what they were doing. And so that had a stop. And so now we have a situation, we all know what's going on. It's terrible whether it's London or San Bernardino, California, marathon bombing, uh, it's, it's Paris, it's, it's terrible, and we are vulnerable. So I believe that... Uh, we are now being, under his administration, uh, maybe somewhat hypocritical because he's asking, in this case, my brothers, as a former Boston police officer and sisters, to not tell the federal government, in this case ICE, that they've pulled someone over that does not belong in this country. It's, they're, they're not undocumented. They're illegal. That's why they're undocumented. They don't have documentation. And so they should be reported to ICE because now we're not doing what we said we would do in 2013. So I would do that differently than the present mayor. I, I would definitely have our Boston police officers holding any illegal immigrants and letting, letting uh, ICE come and, uh, and, and take them, arrest them, whatever they do, instead of saying uh, that, that we're not going to report that to the federal level. I feel like I, I should mention, I have a question I want to run by you on the heels of that. I should mention that the Sarnia brothers did not benefit from a sanctuary city policy. They were in the country legally. 
uh, and went on to do what they did. Uh, I just want to make that point. That's right. Uh, um, how do the Boston police officers that you know who are still on the force, how do they feel about the mayor's stance on immigration and illegal immigration? Um, I, I think that that's a question I could answer, but I, I would not want to put uh, the police officers in a situation where they may, in some... In, quite frankly, disagree with the mayor, but it's a paramilitary program, and they take their orders, and they don't speak up. Uh, They're not supposed to. And so on a personal level, what I hear, I would not voice on radio. You you can't share even if it's... I mean, I'm not asking for you to say, you know, X percent of Boston police officers disagree with the mayor, but, you know, you're a former BPD guy. You mentioned that right off the bat. This is the topic that you've led with in our conversation. Right. You, I, I can't ask you for sort of a, a sense of whether the BPD likes the idea, for example, of City Hall being used as a sanctuary by, uh, by individuals who, well, who need refuge due to their immigration status? With all, with all due respect to the mayor, it's just my opinion. I would say the Boston police officers that I know are uncomfortable with the fact that they cannot communicate to the federal level. And you're talking about active officers there. That's correct. All right. Since we're on the police, uh, 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 the the police commissioner Evans has a fairly high profile, and I have to say that um, I think while I don't always agree with what he says, he certainly conducts himself very well in public. How do you think he's doing? Uh, how do you think he's doing on the job? How would you rate him as a commissioner? I would rate him very high. He's, he was my lieutenant at one time. He was my ah. captain out at 14. He's extremely affable, extremely athletic, high energy. He's always been like that. And so he brought uh, his style and himself, his energy level, to the level he's at now as commissioner of Boston. Yeah, he strikes me, and again, I only know him from seeing him in the media. He definitely strikes me as a cop's cop, if I could say that. He does a, he does a great job. He's totally sincere in everything he, he does. He's Back in the day when you worked with the commissioner, was he doing, you know, a marathon a day or whatever crazy, <laughs> uh, crazy running routine he keeps off? I know it's not a marathon a day, but it's something really remarkable. Yes, he's, he's always been a marathoner. I know some of the police officers that also run with him. They usually do three hours and 33-minute times. He wow. still does that. Uh, he's, he's, uh, I remember before I was a police officer, I've been going to the L Street bathhouse for many years, and uh, as a brownie, my father took us over there in the 60s, and I've, I've gone to the L Street bathhouse uh, seven days a week. I'll be going right after this interview. I usually go during the afternoon. And uh, I met him there did not know who he was before I was on the police force, and he was what, what he is now, quite thin, and uh, I'm, I've always been a combination of weightlifting and running, and I, said to, I suggested to him, you need to lift some weights. <laughs> <laughs> and he did not follow your advice? He laughed, and I, don't, I, I think he may have, but I, I don't really remember, but I did tell him that. You, you know, your mention of South Boston and the fact that you live in East Boston... Um, brings to mind the question, and that's that housing in Boston, housing prices are going through the roof, as are rents for people. 
do you have any thoughts about the affordable housing situation? Uh, your neighborhood in East Boston is undergoing great transformation. South Boston is undergoing great transformation. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I was very fortunate to get 1,400 signatures because when you do that, you get to interact with the public. And I basically did my 1,400 signatures a combination of Charlestown, uh, South Boston, and Dorchester. And uh, I had so many people tell me their concerns of the housing industry becoming uh, not affordable to them. Uh, for example, one people from Charlestown were telling me that there are presently 1,600 units on Bunker Hill Avenue, public housing, that are going to be uh, raised, and then they're going to build twice that, 3,200 units. Many of them will, will not be affordable, number one. It's and number one two, Charlestown project, that, right? That's correct. And uh, that's correct. And then also they're concerned about the infrastructure in terms of there are only three ways into Charlestown, one from Sullivan Square, one from the North End, and one from Cambridge. And they're, they're not happy with the, with the future traffic flow. Uh, another example was in Charles River Park, a friend of mine, Paul, first name, called me up and told me that they had 800 people go to a community meeting to oppose a brand-new high-rise that they did not want. And according to Paul, he said at that meeting, only three people went to the microphone and were in favor of that project, and the other 800 were not. And he told me the next morning, according to Paul, in a closed-door session, not a public session, the project was approved. He's, they're very upset with that. Uh, in South Boston, they're building everywhere. And the condos, they're buying condos for $1 million for, for a one-level unit. They're, they're buying up every property you can, gas stations. Another gas station is going to be uh, taken uh, in a few weeks. They've already taken three or four gas stations. There's only one gas station left now, the Speedy gas station on Old Colony. So it's one uh, situation after another where people are uh, being pushed out of the housing market. I had a young lady from Ashmont approach me at the Star Market on Morrissey Boulevard. She said to me she's being evicted. She's paying $1,800 for a three-bedroom unit and that she pointed to the brand-new buildings that are adjacent to the Star Market in uh, Dorchester on Morrissey Boulevard. And she said, I went over there and they want $5,000 for a three-bedroom. Where am I going? Another woman came to me at Stop and Shop on East Broadway, and she told me that she lives across the street. She has to leave. They're building, doing the building over. And she said to me, where, is, where are my daughter and myself? Where are we going to go? So let me ask you, if you were elected mayor, uh, how would you rein in housing prices? And how would you rein in development? Because it sounds like you think there is too much development right now in the city. There, there are a lot of, as I said, that was a great education for me on that issue. And uh, I would, pro I, I like labor. My dad was labor. I'm labor. However, there, there has to be some kind of balance. I don't think there's a balance here. And as a result, I would probably start off with a moratorium 
until we find out where are we going with all this construction. Moratorium on new construction in the city? On, on everything. Renovations, new construction. Wow. I'm not going to say we're going to stop it, but I believe we have to find out what is going on. They're just building everywhere. They, they, I know there's a lawsuit out in West Rockford, Jamaica Plain. Uh, that lawsuit is uh, for a project that they claim was rubber stamped by the zoning board. This and is the Allendale Woods. Yeah, and they said that uh, that's the first class action suit ever against the zoning board. So this is going on all over the city. Ashmont, West Roxbury, you name it, is East Boston, my own uh, backyard. They're, they're developing there just like they are in South Boston. It, it's, with all due respect to the mayor, it's, it's out of control, according to the people. The people are saying this to me. Let me, Bob, ask you, so the, let's stick on the subject of housing, but when I was a little boy, I grew up in Dorchester, and um, I, I remember it, it, it must have been at either Carson Beach or L Street some weekend, my, one of my parents pointing out the McCormick Housing Project and telling me that this was the first public housing project in America built by Franklin Roosevelt. Do you think the federal government should be playing a more active role in housing like we did during the, the Roosevelt's and Truman years? I, I definitely think that there's a very poor relationship between the mayor and the president of the United States. And I know the president is a very controversial person. There's no denying that. However, I, I would want to have a much better communication with the president so that we would be able to get the federal funds for whatever we may need, uh, police equipment, firefighting equipment, housing, uh, the BHA properties. Uh, I would, I, I, you have to communicate with the chief executive officer of the United States, and that's not being done. So it sounds to me, <clears throat> his name has not yet been uttered, but I'm about to do it. It sounds to me like you are positioning yourself as the... Boston mayoral candidate for people who are fans of President Trump. Is that right? Um, no, I, I would say that that is correct to a degree. But I, if my candidacy is to uh, help people, and one of the ways to help people is to have federal funds, our tax dollars, returned to this city. And it's, it's not going to happen uh, nicely with the present mayor. You have to be able to communicate with people whether you agree or disagree. And the facts remain, the fact remains, he is the president of the United States, and you go there and you, you treat him the, the way you want to be treated, as a gentleman. Bob Capucci, thank you for taking the time to come in and talk with Peter Kadzis and I, and good luck on the campaign trail. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Bob. It's been great. Joe Wiley, thank you for being here. Thank you both for inviting me. I'm, uh, I'm happy for this opportunity because I, I, I think, uh, from what people tell me, I'm very much a man of mystery. So uh, at least now people, some people might be able to put a face with the name. I think that's a fair descriptor. I would say for myself, like a lot of people, I had thought of this as basically a two-person race. Marty Walsh, the incumbent, Tito Jackson, the city councilor running to unseat him. A lot of us in the media, uh, including me, maybe including Peter, I think have 
framed it that way. So uh, how did you go about getting the, is it 3,000 signatures that you had to yes, get to get on the ballot? Uh, 3,000 yeah. verified. How yes. do you get 3,000 verified signatures as a man of political mystery? Well, I, I, this is something that I've been thinking about for years now, and um, running for office has actually been on my mind since I was about 12 or 13. I can remember waiting at a bus stop uh, with my mother one day, and there had just been an election, and I said, gee, that's something that I really want to do one day, you know, run for office, run for something. So it's... it's uh, I think as far as everyone else is concerned, this is very much out of the blue, but uh, this is something that I've been thinking about and studying and uh, uh, mulling over for, for most of my life. Uh, as far as how I... Um, a while back, I just decided to do this, irrespective of uh, who the competition was going to be. I think I... Well, I, I knew, of course, the mayor was going to run for re-election, and... Uh, uh, Rumor was that Mr. Jackson was going to uh, jump in, but uh, I really didn't uh, consider that, <laughs> um, oddly enough, uh, because it had been something that's been on my mind for so long. I said, well, I'm going to do it and um, stop boring my friends with talking about it. And um, how did I get the signatures? Well, yeah, um, I know signature gathering is a lot harder, right, than many certainly people is. realize. It certainly is. I think. Uh, I'm not sure. I think maybe five other people took out papers, um, uh, but I was the only non-known person right. who, uh, who got the signatures. So what did you do? Did you, well, did uh, you go around and get 3,000 no, yourself? No, did you no, I, I collected some myself, and, and, and family and friends were nice enough to, uh, to do what they could. Uh, but uh, I took out papers in, was it 2009? Uh, I think... Uh, I That's took what out, I read in the Dorchester yeah, Reporter. Right, so. right, right. I took out papers in 2009, and uh, at that point I thought, well, I can... I took two weeks off from work. I said, oh, I'll just walk the streets, and I can do this, no problem. Piece of cake. Of course, after three days, you know, <laughs> you know um, I realized. Plus, the, the reality sank into me that no one could have beat Mayor Menino as long as he wanted to uh, keep the office. So I gave that up. So after that experience, this time around, uh, I took out the papers, and a few days later I was contacted by... Uh, um, I guess, am I allowed to give him a plug, uh, uh, my signature gatherer? As far as I'm concerned, yeah. Is it a name uh, people will know? uh, uh, Unless you're in the uh, signature gathering field, uh, Alex Arsenault. And uh, he sent me an email, and uh, he does this professionally. And we met, and uh, he said, well, if you decide to do this, uh, I will get you on the ballot. Um, And uh, I thought maybe he was, you know... um, Exaggerating his skills, but no, in fact, he uh, he he did exactly what he uh, said he would do. So that required an investment on your part. It right? did. It How did. much I, did you have to pay to, to get oh, those signatures? Um, you know, I don't really, because he gave me a lot of free signatures because uh, he guaranteed a certain number would be mm-hmm. valid, and if they weren't, he made up the rest. So um, I think. I'd have to check my records, but yeah. I think uh, about fifteen thousand dollars. So I that's think, a major investment. Certainly, uh, it, it is. It was was certainly for me, uh, but uh, probably uh, money well spent. Well, got you on the ballot. It got me on the ballot. I uh, I I 
after that experience in 09, I knew this was the only way of doing it. Um, so so yeah. let me ask you, when you and I chatted on Memorial Day, and I bugged you early in the morning on Memorial Day, you were kind enough to get back to me almost immediately, and then you apologized for contacting me on Memorial Day, which I found very winning since I was the one who had bugged you at the outset. You said, uh, when I congratulated you on getting on the ballot, you chuckled, and to my ear it almost sounded like a rueful chuckle, although maybe I was misinterpreting it. You chuckled and you said something like, yes, this is going to be an experience. And then you added, in, in fact, it's been an experience already. I'm paraphrasing, but I think that was the, the gist of the, the comment that you made. How has being a candidate for Mayor Boston already been an experience that makes you laugh, ruefully or otherwise? Well, I think the part of it that, that uh, I feel rueful about uh, is that I wasn't... Uh, better prepared for actually getting the signatures. I mean, I, I should have had a website set up a month ago. Um, but I, I kept hesitating because I said, what if I don't get the signatures? And and, uh, and I, at the time, I really didn't realize how important um, I haven't given, given much thought to how important having a website would be. Um, so uh, that was a mistake, and one that I'm still trying to correct. Uh, but uh, I, that was, that's what I had in okay, mind. Okay, so you was, maybe uh, just weren't quite where you needed to right. be online I, uh, yeah, as someone who is uh, right. You know, like getting a Twitter some account yeah. and things like that, and organizationally, no Twitter handle yet, right? No, no. Uh, organizationally, I I am um, behind, but I keep telling myself that September 28th is a long time away. And uh, I don't have to tell either one of you that, uh, you know, four months can be a lifetime in politics and uh, anything can happen. How do you see on the campaign trail your relationship vis-a-vis Tito? I mean, have you liked what he's done? Have you disagreed with what he's done? Well, to the extent that I've... uh, followed his city council career. I guess he's been one of the more vocal critics of the mayor um, and the leadership of the police department, for what I can tell. Um, I I don't know if if stylistically I would have expressed myself in the same ways that that he has. I I do have um, policy... Um, differences with with the current administration, uh, but uh, as far as ethnicity is concerned, I, I I think it's a wonderful thing for the city. I um, uh, regardless of irregardless of uh, how it affects me, I, I think it's uh, um, a wonderful uh, uh, step forward for this city. Um, no, no argument for I me think, on that. I uh, think, you know, uh, the reality is that, that Boston is the only uh, major city in this country that has not had a non-white mayor, uh, despite the fact that Boston is 53% non-white. Other cities that have a far smaller minority or a non-white population, like Seattle, you know, they, they've had... Uh, a non-white mayor, at least one. Why do you think it is that Boston hasn't broken that barrier yet? 
Well, maybe the right people haven't run, for one thing. Um, I know last time around there was a strong possibility that uh, um, I think Charlotte Ritchie uh, could have been elected mayor, but uh, um, um, there were several other candidates, non-white candidates in the field that... Uh, Felix Arroyo, right, John right, Barrows, right, both right, of whom now work right, for right. Mayor Walsh. Right, yes, yes. But um, th th let me ask you about your policy differences with the current mayor, Marty Walsh. But, you know, what's the principal reason you threw your hat in the well, ring to run against Well, I say policy. I say policy, but... but it might, philosophy might, might uh, be a better way of describing it. Um, um, someone my age, I'm, I'm, I'm 68, and uh, they do wonders at Mass General, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping I don't look it. But uh, um, um, I grew up during the 60s, and... Uh, um, when the Democratic Party was was uh, um, considerably more liberal uh, than it is now, Johnson with the Great Society. Um, I'm a student of history and and, uh, and FDR, the New Deal, Harry Truman. Um, they were they were my uh, along with Ted Kennedy and uh, they were my my heroes and. Uh, so I, 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 that's my conception of the Democratic Party, uh, that, that uh, uh, the government steps in um, when people are in need, the government fills gaps that need to be filled, whether it's a GI Bill, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, going back to FDR. That's the function of government, uh, in, in my view. And, um, and the Democratic Party, I, I think, uh, to a large extent, has shifted more towards the middle of the road. Um, um, Let me just interrupt you. As you talk about those things, you're talking about old-school, federal-level Democrats being right. your political role models. You're running for a municipal job. Uh, Marty Walsh doesn't have authority to create a program like Social Security, no, no, for example. No, no. And in terms of whether Marty Walsh has spoken up on a municipal level for the kind of values that you're talking about, I mean, after Donald Trump's election as president, Marty Walsh came out and said that if any immigrants and refugees in the city of Boston needed shelter from Trump administration policies, they could find it in Boston City Hall mm -hmm, itself. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a more full-throated embrace of the kind of values that you're talking about on the municipal level than that statement by Mayor Walsh. So well, I, I where agree. Is he that, not was, doing that was enough? that was a laudable thing to say, and and I agree totally with with him saying that. But uh, um, and I fully support that position. But can you imagine a uh, mayor of Boston saying anything other than that? Kevin White would have said it. Ray Flynn would have said it. Certainly, uh, Mayor Menino probably did say it, and if I was ever in that position, I'd, I, would, I would echo the same sentiment. So the mayor of Chicago said, you know, Bill de Blasio in New York, 
the mayor of L.A. So, uh, you know, a Democratic mayor of a major city of this country wouldn't say anything but that. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not minimizing. Uh, there was a great position to take, but that's what Democratic mayors of large cities say, have to say, and should say. Uh, but as far as, uh, well, homelessness, it's become a norm, you know, uh, and, and, and um, we seem to just accept that it's permanently uh, become part of our part of our everyday life. You know, we have uh, adults living uh, permanently in shelters like Pine Street, and the shame um, and the, the moral stain upon us, I think, is, is the number of homeless children. We have 1,300 uh, homeless families in the city of Boston, and 50% of those uh, family members are children. How, how, can, how can we allow that kind of, uh, uh, state, of, state, of uh, state of things, that we have children that, that are going home after school to, to a shelter, uh, they don't have their own bed or, or you know, I, I, uh, I, and, 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 and to my, uh, to bring back to the city of the city local, well, I think it's a mayor's job to do something about that. If families are homeless, well, that means that they don't have a place to live. Then, then we should be building uh, housing so that these children can have a decent uh, upbringing uh, in some place other than a shelter. I, I was, you know, my family, when I was growing up in Roxbury, we, we didn't have any money, and I, most of the time was, you know, I'd get home from school and, you know, the latchkey kid, I'd, you know, turn the key and whatever. But I had my own kitchen. I could go and make myself a peanut butter sandwich. You know, I could turn on the TV. I could sit at the kitchen table and do my homework and whatever. You know, the idea that we have kids that are... Uh, I, I, just, I just cannot fathom it. I just cannot fathom it. And, and it, it should be spoken about every day. It's not something that, you know, is just brought up when they go around and, and count the number of homeless once a year or whatever. You know, um, I think the mayor of a city like this should, should be shouting from the rooftops about this issue and, um, and moving heaven and earth to put these families in uh, uh, some kind of permanent housing. Well, in the, 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 the piece in the Dorchester Reporter, which is really the only full-length piece that's been written to date. Yeah, I think but something you, might be coming out in the banner. This the ban- that yeah. would make sense. Yeah. But in that piece, in the reporter, you talked about affordable housing and in, in the, the, the great need, as you see it, for the city to have more of it. To me, there's a, a, a causal link here between the, the homelessness um, right. and affordable housing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what would you like to see the city doing in terms of that very complicated issue of affordable housing? Well, I, I don't think the, the, uh, there is that set-aside program where any new development has to set aside 13% of their uh, apartments for uh, so-called uh, affordable housing. Uh, that seems to be geared 
mainly towards middle-income people, uh, but uh, and the city, the mayor has this Boston 2030 plan that's come out, and I think the projected goal in that is to create 6,500 uh, units of affordable housing by 2030. Well, that that laudable though it may be, that that really is just a drop in a bucket. Uh, there's an article in the Globe about a uh, affordable housing uh, uh, development in Jackson Square. There were 39 units, and they had 3,000 applicants for 39 units. So that gives you an idea of, of uh, the need that's out there. I, God knows, I don't have a blueprint. Uh, if I did, I'd write a book and go on the lecture circuit, and you know, uh, but. Uh, I, I think that, uh, uh, well, in the past, Boston's done some enormous things. We've, uh, in the early 1800s, the city leaders decided that the city just wasn't big enough. We didn't have enough land. So they started this 120-year landfill project, and we're sitting on the result of, of, of that right now, the Here Back Bay, the Back Bay, the South End, Charlestown, most of South Boston, East Boston, that's all landfill. You know, so Boston has done some amazing things in its history. You know, we started the abolition movement, um, the revolution, for goodness sakes, you know. Uh, so of what I would do if I was sitting there now, uh, if you throw a rock out the window at City Hall, you can hit an expert in something. I mean, this is the greatest think tank probably in the world. We're surrounded by, by academics who have expertise in every imaginable subject and whatever. Housing, transportation, finance. Why, why, aren't, why aren't those men and women being called upon to, to advise us on how can we solve this problem? You know, now my being a new dealer from you know, my my, and I don't know if it would turn out this way. I think that it may require some um, uh, um, government funding, city funding, whether it's a borrowing or bonds or something like that. But I would leave that for, to the experts to advise on. You know, but I think the city is going to have to, one way or another, start building housing in this city. We haven't had a major, well right now the mayor wants to create 53,000 new housing units by 2030, but we haven't had a housing boom like that since they started building three-deckers in the 1870s. That was the last major housing boom that, that Boston had. Um, now it's great that you're building 53,000 units, but Back in those days, all that was considered affordable housing, those three-deckers. I am not great when it comes to economic matters. Peter is much stronger than me. But my sense is that for the city to undertake the kind of building that you're talking about on its own, with the city footing the bill, would cost a remarkable amount of money, given how expensive real estate is here in Boston, given how expensive, I understand, it is to construct new buildings here in Boston, and that when it comes to trying to get developers to put up either affordable or low-income housing, that a lot of them simply 
don't want to do it because land is so expensive, building materials are so expensive, and they want to make a certain level of profit that they're accustomed to making. So without asking the city to foot the bill for a project that could, I would think, come close to financially crippling it, how do you, how do you get done what you're hoping to get done? Well, interest rates are very low. It's what Paul Krugman keeps uh, keeps saying, that now's the time to borrow for infrastructure uh, because rates are at historic lows. So I, I'm not a financial expert. So That's two of us. It, this may turn out to be, you know, the wackiest idea in the world. Well, someone will, you know, as FDR used to say, well, we'll try one thing. If that doesn't work, we'll try something else. Uh, so if it has to be some kind of a combination of... of public money and, and uh, increased tax incentives to developers, um, um, that could very well be the case. But, but at least show some. <laughs> I don't see any sense of urgency, frankly. If you're talking about building 6,500 units in the next whatever that is, years, to 2030, I, that doesn't express to me that this is really considered an urgent need. Joe, how, how do you think the city is, is doing in terms of uh, public safety, uh, relations between the police department and the average citizen? Well, there's always room for improvement. I don't see how any strong relationships can be built up uh, between the police and the and the community, whichever community it is, unless, unless there's human contact. And um, now this may be totally against police theory and whatever right now, but I, I don't see how that type of relationship can evolve if, if uh, the police are just driving around in cruisers. And, uh, so I'm curious. Oh, no, you go ahead, Adam. But I, I sat down a little while ago with the mayor and the police commissioner and talk to them about the mayor's claims that Boston is the safest city in the country, which to my eye and to the eye of uh, some other people I talked with didn't quite hold up. But they were very proud, Commissioner Evans in particular, of, of the person-to-person -person contact. They say the BPD is initiating and taking part in in Boston's neighborhoods on a regular basis. So I'm curious, where you live in East Boston, do you see that? Well, and the interaction that I've had with, with the police uh, um, has, been, has been good. Uh, we had a situation a few doors down from where I live uh, seven or eight years ago where there was, a, uh, I don't know if there were gang involved, but there was something going on in that building that shouldn't have been going on, and, uh, and the police were very good about uh, responding uh, to that situation. And I think they eventually influenced the landlord to uh, ask them to move. But, uh, um, but. Well, let me ask you about living in East Boston, if I may. I mean, sure. Dorchester has the sprawl. You know, it's Dorchester would be what maybe the third, which is where I'm from, by the way, the the the, the third largest city in the state, I believe, mm. if it were its own municipality. But East Boston is without a doubt the melting pot of Boston, the most ethnically diverse. Just what's the texture of life like over there? I used to live there on Princeton Street many oh, years ago. That's Long, where I'm at. You're on Princeton Street. Yeah. What yeah. number? 34. 
And how long have you lived in? Uh, 20 years. 20 years. You know, I think where I live is public record anyways. So it is. So, so uh, you know. But, uh, uh, well, I lived in New York for uh, f- uh, 14 years in Manhattan uh, when it was affordable. And uh, being in East Boston really reminds me of uh, the diversity and the, uh, the convenience the density of, of uh, being in New York. It's very much a, uh, a, a New York kind of a, a neighborhood. It's, uh, um, I love, I could only live in a neighborhood that had diversity, and it certainly has that. Um, it's convenient, it's a subway, uh, you know, um, a supermarket two minutes from my door. Do I you have, have a favorite place to eat? I'm getting kind of down home here, um, but I'm just curious. No, I like it. I like there's a pizzeria that's close to me, and I go there and... Uh, oh, give uh, them a plug. Which one? Oh, oh, Jet. Uh, I think it's called Jet Pizza. And uh, I go to Echo uh, sometimes. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, Reno's Place or not? Isn't that the really hot Italian restaurant that everyone loves? Reno's? Oh, yeah, I haven't been there. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been there. But, and there used to be a very good seafood place... Uh, in Central Square, but I think they moved to Revere or something mm. like that, so that's, that's not there anymore. Out of the city. Yeah, but uh, East Boston is, is just, it's, it's, and the population seems to be changing a lot. You see a lot of lack of a better way of, of, of young Brooklyn types that are, that are uh, uh, moving in, hipsters, I guess, you know, um, and uh, that's refreshing. Um, Hipsters, they're in South Boston, now they're in East Boston, they're hipsters, East Boston. they're everywhere. Yeah, but of course, yeah. that's a harbinger of less affordable housing, right? It is, it is, and uh, I'm seeing it in my neighborhood, uh, a new, I think it's a rental, uh, just went up on Meridian Street, and uh, uh, one of the neighbors told me that the rents were starting at like 2900 or something like that, so wow. uh, that is not a good trend. Uh, so you, it is a harbinger, and uh, I'm very concerned about that. I'm very concerned about that because, uh, you know, um, people that are, have lived there for decades, um, in 10 years, uh, I think I mentioned in the Dorchester Reporter article, I said in 10 years, I, you know, unless something is done, uh, Boston is going to go the way of San Francisco, of Manhattan, and uh, I've lived in both cities. I've kept track of what's happened in both cities since I left, and uh, I, I see Boston heading down the same road. Now, whether my bright idea about big, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, public investment, that may not pan out to be uh, the best idea in the world, but uh, I'm not saying that I have uh, all the answers at this point. Um, I would reach out to uh, neighborhood groups, to housing advocates, finance people. How can the problem has to be solved one way or the other? Now I may not at this point have the exact notion of how we're exactly going to solve it, but uh, um, I'm not arrogant enough to say that I have all the answers, you know, but. Uh, but I am convinced that the problem has to be solved over the next 10 or 15 years. In closing, if there are listeners who are potential voters, you want to introduce yourself to them and maybe ask for their vote? 
Someone asked me, well, what's the difference between you and the other guys? Um, I, I can only say that, that uh, I, I have no ambition for higher office, not at my age. Um, and I learned uh, from my mother, who taught by example that compassion was, was probably the greatest uh, attribute that anyone could have in their life. And uh, I care very deeply about all of these issues. I take them personally. So if I was fortunate enough to, uh, to become mayor of this city, you can um, believe that I would be someone who would be passionately and deeply involved in working on uh, these issues. All right, Joseph Wiley candidate for mayor of Boston. Thank you for coming into the BPL to talk with us. Thank you both for inviting me. Great to meet you, Joe. So, Peter Kadzis, what did you think of the two other mayoral candidates who we just talked to? Um, I thought Bob was pretty impressive. Uh, he's clearly a little rusty, he, a, a one-time public office holder. Um, a little rusty, but um, I have to say, whether you agree with what he says or not, he answers questions more directly than most of the men and women we interview all the time. I think that's true. And um, the other gentleman, God bless him. You're talking Joe Wiley. Here. Joe Wiley, God bless him. I mean, he has a dream. He's going for it. Um, he might find his uh, uh, his sea legs, if you will, as he goes along. But um, I'll tell you this, though. I do think that both the mayor and Councillor Jackson will have to be careful of these guys if there are any large four-way debate. When you say that Walsh and Jackson need to be careful in say, public forums where they might be engaging with Capucci and Wiley, what are the potential missteps that you could imagine either the mayor or the councillor making uh, in relation to the other two candidates? They're professional politicians who are fully in command of the facts. Um, the other two gentlemen are um, amateur standing. Bob has held office before, but um, he's a little rusty. Um, they have the potential for, for you know, having a sort of sympathy backlash yeah. if either Walsh or Jackson is too sharp or too impatient. Too condescending. Too condescending, too know-it-all. Um, uh, I'm just saying, it's, it, 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 it's in a way, it's not unlike the same challenge we face as interviewers. You know, you, you want to draw, we want to draw these men out to so that we can let the public know what's mm -hmm. really on their mind and what they're really like. But, um, you know, we don't want to be snarky know-it-alls like we might be with, say, the mayor or Councilor Jackson. I like that analogy a lot. Now that we've met uh, Joe Wiley and, and Bob Capucci, do you have any sympathy for the three would-be mayoral candidates who failed to make the ballot, who have since said that the process is unfair? I, I have 
my heart goes out to them. My, my head doesn't. Um, I, I think Mayor of Boston's a, a, a high-risk, high-responsibility job. Personally, I don't think 3,000 signatures over three weeks is too much. It's enough to be a challenge. But if you can't get that, um, I, I wonder if you have any business running for office. Um, uh, you know, again, it's sort of God bless them, good luck. But um, this is real life. It's not a high school civics class. And my parting question for you, uh, you grew up in Boston. You live in Boston right now. You think there's some appetite in Boston for a pro-Donald Trump mayoral candidate? I think there's some. I, I think Bob was careful. He, he, he's no babe in the woods. He knows that he will appeal to some Trump voters, but I don't think he wants to fully embrace Trump, at least not yeah. at the moment. Um, I don't know what the appetite is. I'll tell you this. I'm going to go back to the office and uh, over the next couple of days look at where Trump scored well in, um, in, in voting because th there, there is a vote. Then you also have uh, just the protest vote. Um, and this is always true in Boston politics. Um, people who listen to this regularly know I am always talking about my large extended family in Boston. And some people may vote for candidate A, but once candidate A is in office, they always vote against him. Why? Not that they don't like him or her. They just want to keep him honest. So I would say that Bob has a potential to, to pick up a protest vote. Uh, by the way, a, as does Mr. Wiley and as does Councillor Jackson. But um, it's a little more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Peter Kedzis, as always, a pleasure talking with you, especially about Boston politics. Thanks that, for thanks. It, it's my love. Thanks for doing this. Uh, and thanks to all of you for listening to another episode of The Scrum. That's going to do it for this installment. As always, you can find us on iTunes, where we would love you to subscribe if you haven't already. We'd also like it if you left a review, whether it's positive or negative. You can find us in various other places that people get their podcatchers and online at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. Our producer is Jason Tereski. I'm Adam Riley, and The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.